This is Comic Picks by the Glick. Hey, and I'm your host, Jason Glick. How are you doing, Jason Glick? I'm doing fine, John Murphy. How are you doing? Oh, I could be better. But anyway, I could enjoy more of my three-day. What's going on with you? Oh, yeah, it's like I I would like to finish like three more days off. Off work after all, too. But still, it's like I, I'm soldier, soldiering on as always. And this time, the soldiering takes me to um, one of like the regular crossover topic of this of this podcast. And that's crossovers, especially the ones between Marvel and DC. Because this time, I'm here to talk about Marvel's big crossover event from the last year, and that's Fear Itself, which is finally slowly trickling into um, paperback form now. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Now, Fear Itself is, it's like, it, it got some, like, not, not really a uh, decent word of mouth. I mean, it was basically all, I'll people get this, one of the, uh, the lesser uh, Marvel, Marvel cross, crossovers of your past. I mean, like, well, in the sense of, like, you know, like, a lot of these things, like, you know, do, t- do kind of turn out to be, like, you know, like, oh, it's always a case of, hey, you know, this is a big Marvel event. Hey, it's like going to change things forever. And by then, it's always like, yeah, yeah, you know, it's like we're yeah, we get some changes, but you know, it's like it still kind of sucked anyway. Now, the only ones who really escaped that from years past are um, World War Hulk, which is a great updating of the everyone in the Marvel universe fights fights the Hulk um, type type story, and also Siege, which basically um, serves as a capper to like a to, to like a year to years long um, like um, cycle of stories that began with. Um, you know, with um, with Brian Bendis's um, new, it's like New Avengers and House of M, and and wrap and wrap up there. Pierce was the first um, crossover to pop up after that, and this it comes from um, Matt Fraction and Stuart Monin. Now, regular readers of the of the blog portion of this see this site will know that um, I love I love Monin to death from his work on ne- on Next Wave to um to New Avengers. It's about everything he's done for Marvel, like in the last several years, it's like he's man's like a fantastic um, superhero artist. He brings a lot of energy, a lot of excitement. It's like to to all to just about anything he does, and it's like you know. So the fact that he's like that, that he um, that he provided the art for this series. I mean, I knew this is going to look good. Now, Matt Fraction, on the other hand, well, it's like Fraction's kind of a mixed bag. It's like I've liked um, some of the stuff he's done over the years. I mean, he's done a good job um, handling Tony Stark um, in the Invincible Iron Man. Um, the most recent story arc, The Unfixable, excluded, which is still in the running for worst comic book story I've read so far this year. But he's also done good stuff with his own creator-owned series, um, Ca- Casanova, which is a, just a great, um, like, stream of consciousness, like, 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 series of rapid-fire ideas um, that teams him with um, artists um, Gabriel Bond, Fabio Moon. Great stuff. It's like, best... Best example of how to do style over style over substance, in my in my opinion. He's also done um, Punisher Warzone, which you know it's like it's kind of suffered from the sense that it was that basically kind of tried to find a middle ground between um, Garth Ennis's um, funny Punisher stories and his serious Punisher stories, and it kind of what ended up with something that was kind of like deeply meh more than anything else. Um, and also, but. But he's also been writing on um, Thor for for a little while now. Now he's written some good um, some good out of continuity Thor stories in the um, Thor Ages of Thunder collection, which I do recommend. But his in continuity stuff, such as the World Eaters and uh, it's like and the Galactus Seed, has been slow, turgid, boring affairs. 
that I couldn't really care for. If nothing else, Fear Itself proves that that Fraction can write a uh, Thor story in continuity um, that actually has some real oomph and, actual, and excitement to it. Now, the premise is that um, the Red Skull's daughter, Sin, has um, uncovered one of, her, one of her daddy's old... It's like old schemes from World War II, one of his real failures, and apparently like, oh, but it's actually now going to finally bear fruition after, it's like after all these years. Turns out that there's this like hammer that dropped to the ground like back in World War II, and it turns out it's not just any hammer. It's the hammer of the serpent, um, a mysterious figure from Asgardian, Asgardian lore transforms um, Sin into, into Scotty. It's like one of his – like his, like his daughter. Now, the, the opening is written by, by Ed Brubaker, and that continues. And, you know, it's like, well, it's like I'm, I've been running more cold on his Captain America run over the years. I will say that, you know, it's like regardless of um, how his run wraps up, I will be finally glad to see the end of, hey, uh, end of stories where he has, hey, you know, Skull's got this um, plan. Skull's got this um, stuff he's been planning since World War II. It's like, oh, and here's a story to show you how he was setting it up back in the day kind of story, which is what this the prologue. Um, effectively is nice art by Scott Eaton though, but um, the main but the main story um, basically has basically has Sin um, take, finally making good on one of her one of her dad's plans, awakening these, the serpent who we're told is a fierce is a um, the Asgardian god of fear, and he's been he's going to use like the fear from like from our world to try and to try and take it over and finally get revenge on his brother Odin for take for um, sealing him away all these years ago. So, so far so good. But, and but the thing is, like the execution is also kind of is also kind of confused and, and imprecise. With um, we start out with like a, with the um captain with um Steve Rogers and Sharon Carter trying to manage a mob in New York who are arguing over like the whole Bill and a Mosque at Ground Zero issue, and it's like. But um, from but from there, it's like we like I said we don't really get a whole lot of sense. That's probably like the, the volume's biggest um, failure. Like we don't get a whole lot of sense of like the little guys, you know, the sense that you know the, the serpent is working is actually spreading fear throughout the world. I mean, we're told that he's doing this. We see snippets, news snippets from here and there throughout the story, but the focus is kept squarely on the heroes and not, and we don't get a sense of the world they're trying to save. I mean, yeah, you could argue that you know, hey, it's the Marvel Universe. Of course, it's going to be there next next month. They got they got comics to sell after all. Anyway, but but still, I mean, there's no real sense of like of drama or like or like a feeling that you know, hey, like you know, the heroes are kind of fucked right now. Like we got with say, um, like uh, Black Black Knight in the DC Universe. Um, with I mean, the theory itself, though. I mean, as it goes on, it's like we've got. Um, uh, what can I say? It's like it's. It does feel more like we're. It's like we're doing, like um, Fraction has a bunch of like killer moments, um, planned more than anything, anything else. And yes, we've got um, like you know Thor, Thor and Odin duking it out at the beginning. We've got. It's like we got the, uh, like, like um, like various um heroes and villains from the Marvel universe turned into um. Like um, avatars, avatars of the serpent with um, the, with his hammers as be as the worthy. We, um, like Thor, it's like like Thor and Hulk um, beating the crap out of each other. It's like when the Hulk has been turned into one of the worthy you know, things, things like that. It's like um, the the uh, death the death of Bucky Barnes. Now I would say I like, don't saying that Bucky Barnes dies in this 
in this um, volume isn't a spoiler because he's got his own series now on the Winter Soldier. So obviously everyone knows that he survived. And if you're said that I spoiled it for you, well, you know, it's like, I, <laughs> I don't know, my bad. But still, it's like I'm not like it's not really that big a deal because, you know, people die all the time. And this one just kind of feels like, oh, hey, you know how like villains keep winning in Ed Brubaker's um, Captain America comics? Well, hey, this is just another one of those moments. Anyway, we got – it's like we also got you know, um, like Tony Stark um, giving up his sobriety in a moment that um, should have been like, you know, like, holy crap. I can't believe he'd do that. But it just happens with such – it just thrust, on, thrust upon us with this – like immediacy, like kind of like, hey, you know, Odin, I'm going to meet with you. I, hey, in order to get get you to be, I'm going to sacrifice the one thing that means the most to me in the world, my sobriety. Look, Oh yeah, there we go. So I mean, that's kind of like how the scene plays out as it is. And then, and um, Stark uses this to um get like you know to get access to Odin's forge and you know make make special weapons that that will um give us give our our heroes the edge to fight the worthy. And it, the whole and the whole fracas just winds up being this huge, giant toyetic, like toyetic brouhaha. And in the end, the uh, the serpent is defeated. Thor um, is struck. Thor is struck down, but he's even less dead than um, Bucky Barnes is. And you know, it's like, and we're just kind of like things are like um like back it's like back to normal as far as Marvel over universe goes. So I mean, it's like it's. It's got energy. It's like energy, some wit, and like some nice, nice fight scenes. But to be honest, you know, it's like I think if a, if if, it, if a um, lesser artist than Stuart Amonin um, was tackling this, then this series um, probably would have been um, just like a huge mess, and I would be um, far less kind to it than I, than than whatever faint praise I'm damning it with right now. So I mean, yeah, it's like even for someone who's some. Um, who um, likes to follow the, uh, Marvel, the, the narrative of the Marvel Universe as I do, I got to admit, it's like fear itself, you know, generally deeply skippable. You know, all you need to know is that, you know, it's like, like Odin's brother um, come, show, Odin's brother shows up, causes fear, gets everyone to fight, um, is defeated, um, and then Thor, and that, um, Odin seals off, at, seals off Asgard, stuff happens, the end. Anyway, it's like, it's like I bought this because I wanted to see if I get a get a podcast out of it, and I did. Uh, everyone else, meh. But that being said, because um, because this being a giant crossover, this means it also crosses over into a lot of other series that I read. So I'm still waiting on the uh, soft cover version editions of uh, of um, Iron Man and Uncanny X Men, which is annoying because the first volume of Kieran Gillen's um uncan new relaunched Uncanny X Men, which followed. Fear itself um, is coming out in two, coming out um, next week, but the uh, softcover edition of a Fear Itself, the Fear Itself um, tie-in issues aren't, which you know annoys the living hell out of me. But I think I'll manage anyway. But the ones I have right now are um, Avengers: Fear Itself by Brian Michael Bendis, John Romita Jr., Chris Bacallo, and Mike Diodato. This volume collects the uh, tie-in issues from both Avengers and New Avengers, and Throughout um, all all the eight issues collected here, Bendis um, tries something that is, for lack of a better term, rather counterintuitive to a crossover. Every story in here is framed as a kind of oral history of the new of the Avengers. So basically, you've got all these like you have these like nice twelve panel grids where you get like um, Hawkeye 
Hawkeye, Captain America, Thor, Spider-Man. It's like Wasp. Um, Cap, um, the new Captain, uh, uh, the new Marvel boy or the protector, Novar. Anyway, it's like Spider-Man, Wolverine, you know, all these Avengers from year, ages and years past, just talking up, um, you know, like the, the, uh, the history of Marvel, the history of like, you know, their times with the Marvel Universe. And th- all this, however, is focused around um, the, the events of fear itself. Now, it's like these, now, overall, like this, these stories he's, He's got just don't like he's not really telling like a, like a solo arc within um within fear itself. He's just doing like little stories tied within the margins, and for the most part, like the Avengers issues are kind of like you know really feel really inconsequential because you know it's like it's just I mean you get stories where where we've got um you know the, everyone like you know like meeting up around in Asgard just like before Tony Stark reveals his plan to rebuild it. And um, main thread to keep in mind with Avengers is that he's setting up, he's now setting up a uh, like a love love triangle between uh, Spider Woman and Hawkeye and Hawkeye's uh, ex wife Mockingbird. But you know it's like it's kind of it is kind of interesting that um, he at least mentions a thematic um, tie in with these with these um, Avengers issues in the sense that we've got all these excuse me we've got all these um, like stories about you know people standing up to like. Things that you, people should fear, it's like, and I like, try and overcome them. Like this, this comes into play with the second issue, and you got the red, the red hole tackling uh, tackling a worthy version of the thing. Now, I just don't know why the hell they made the thing one of the worthy, since, since you want to make this like the bad guys, you know, like, you know, genuine bad guys. You know, why make the thing one of the bad guys? I mean, he's he's lovable. He's the ever-loving blue-eyed thing. Why do this to him? Like, even when um, he says, like, oh, I've got this coming, it's like, after Thor kicks his ass in the main crossover, you don't believe it because, you know, he's the thing. He's likable. Uh, but anyway, it's like, you got Red Hulk standing up to the thing. You've got um, Spider-Woman, the protector, and Hawkeye um, standing up to the Hulk in South South America. Captain America trying to track down Sin and come face-to-face with some, some, his old Nazi antagonists. And, and Hawkeye, Spider-Woman, and... And Miss Marvel John, taking the fight directly to um, Sin in the in the final issue. The, these 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 particular issues are just kind of like meh. I mean, it's like it's just it's Bendis is just telling stories in the margin. And while I can appreciate the fact that he's you know making a nice thematic connection with this, like with these like with these issues, it's not. It's like I said, it doesn't strike me as anything that's particularly compelling to the crossover. Art comes from Chris Bacallo in in two of the issues, and his, I love his ultra detailed style. I love how he's able to like cram all these um, panel panels on the grid and like give all this all this detail, especially to the Hulk fight. Um, John Romita Jr. provides art for the other three, and I love. And even though his his style isn't nearly as detailed as Bacallo, he's got he still managed to like do some ni- nice nice big um, act, action storytelling, especially between the Hulk and um, Red Hulk fights. Now the last three issues are from New Avengers. They actually do a better job of um of like um, continuing the story from from the previous from the previous arc. We find out show that found that um that Mockingbird is now better than ever thanks to the um experimental super soldier serum that she was she was struck with in the previous volume. But more interesting though are the last two issues, which um focus on on the ever on the enduring cult favorite of um, the Marvel Universe, that would be Squirrel Girl. And because she's, she's now the nanny for um, Luke, for, um, Luke Cage and um, Jessica Jones' kid. 
And so, and so we get, we find out that we get further proof that her superpower, you know, isn't her ability to talk to squirrels and utilize utilize their skills. No, her superpower is that she's able to beat the crap out of everyone else in the Marvel universe. No, because we see that when she um she gets into a nice little sparring bit with Wolverine and she hands him his ass. It's like especially the point where she says, "Yo, Great Lakes Avengers represent." And then uh, just when Wolverine thinks he's got the drop on her, she found, she whips out her um, squirrel controlling powers, and that and that's it right there. So yeah, it's like I, so it's like I like the fact that Ben just recognizes that you know her secret her her special ability is really to um, beat the crap beat the crap out of everyone in the Marvel universe. And even though she may be like a truly like it, um, irredeemably goofy um. He, like hero, she's still a hero nonetheless. As we see her risk life and limb to um, storm through the um, Red Skulls, um, not, it's like I'm um, Nazi Mecca to um, get to, um, Luke, Luke and Jessica's kids um, to protect him as they go off. They go off to fight. So that was a lot of fun. And the, the final final issue though does does also does have this feeling that you know, like Bendis is like you know, tackling the fact that hey, you know who like what really counts as, as an Avenger. So like because like a lot of people have. You know, talked about you know, hey, you know, like like him adding like you know, like a Wolverine or Spider Man, it's like our Luke Cage and Doctor Strange to the uh, like to the Avengers roster. You know, that's not really like they're not really like Avengers type characters, but you know, Bendis does make like a nice does use his talking heads to make a nice point about you know, hey, you know, it's like no one is really it's like you know, everyone, well, no, really everyone is kind of like like Avengers material, even Daredevil. It's like as we find out in this in this issue right here, as he um as he um shows as he um takes as he does some fighting in, in Hell's Kitchen and also like helps show up to save save Squirrel Girl and and the kid at the same at the same time and he gets his Avengers membership because of it. So it's nice, but you know it's like if you're looking for those of you looking for like nice for like real continuity like for, like keep for the salient points in this volume. There's love triangle between um, Spider Woman, Hawkeye, and Mockingbird. Daredevil joins the Avengers. Um, Hawk, uh, Mockingbird now has now better than ever thanks to the Super Soldier Serum. Spider Man still doesn't trust Victoria Hand as he shouldn't. And you know that's that's pretty much all you need to know. Um, if you're if you're still buying like Bendis' stuff, you'll still find a lot to like here. Otherwise, eh, like say, like um, you know it's still kind of. It's it's not really an essential read, to, like to the crossover or you know to the like crux of the series itself. However, to end things on a high note, there is one series that I've been looking forward to um, for quite some time, due to the um, near universal acclaim it has received um, ever since it started. That would be um, Journey into Mystery. Now, this now if the title isn't familiar to you, this is. Um, th- Journey into Mystery was um, Thor's like original series. He launched, that was the name of his first, of his original title, and now he's. It's like, and every once in a while, Marvel decides to break it out. You know, when they want to give some of the B-list Asgardians like their solo title. They did this way back in the day. In it's like after uh, in, in the days of Hero, Heroes Are Born, and now they're giving it over to um, to one of my um, favorite uh, Marvel writers these days, um, Kieran Gillen. To uh, tell a story of Kid Loki. Now, more than anything else, I think if when you look back on what Fractions Run has achieved, it's like people will be um, probably more thankful of the fact that he um, turned Loki into a kid more than any of these stories he actually wrote. Because you know, in turning um, Loki into a kid, like, 
and you're like you've turned him turned the Asgardian guard of mischief, who was essentially one of the one of the bigger villains of the Marvel universe, into like into this like you know this nice little mischievous like little like um little little twerp who um was like hey you know he's yeah it's like he was actually like a far more likable version of it's like of his adult adult self i mean i figured if you wanted to make a likable version of loki you can't do it with loki himself he's got too much baggage and that just just ain't gonna work in fact that's even addressed right here because you've got because the whole the whole first issue is basically centered around you know okay in the end you know it was Loki like say loki um set up everything for siege it's like he helped he helped norman osborne um achieve like achieve his power, he helped bring down Asgard, and in the end he sacrificed himself. But he also managed to get himself taken off the books, so that when he died, he didn't go to Asgard, Asgard, or he didn't go to Valhalla or Hell. It's like he just went off somewhere. He just went off somewhere else. But Thor was still able to bring him to resurrect his spirit in the form of a kid in um, fractions of the World Eaters. Now, Jillen um, like addresses all this head on, and he gives this. Series like you know like a real mythological heft that you don't see uh, like in most like in most um, like mainstream mainstream comics. A lot of like a lot of comparisons to Neil Gaiman's um, Sandman were thrown around. It's like at the beginning and well, I can't say I can't say that that you know when you're comparing things to Sandman, that's like you're just that's just kind of like asking for trouble right there. But um, with Journey into Mystery, I can certainly see why they're like see see why they say that. But you know. Like even if it's not in the same ballpark, I still it's still a nice like it's even if it's not on the same level as Sandman, it's still in the same ballpark. It's especially seeing the um op- in the opening couple pages where where these ma- where you get the stories of these magpies um going like journeying through As- Asgard and the realms beyond to tell to tell a to, to tell a story to Loki, who we find out is um you know just. He's just like being, being a kid, being a mischief, and he's he's raising hell on the internet because as, he, as he's trying to um you know like show people, draw pictures of the world tree to everyone, they're calling him a troll. As and as Thor points out, hey, you're but you're you're half giant, and Loki goes, I know. So it's like you got a lot of funny funny exchanges exchanges like that, and also lots of nice little weird weird mythological stuff as as Loki tries to find find out where the key from the exploding magpie. Um, like take takes him. Then we find out that he's eventually that he eventually um, winds up in a embroiled in a scheme from his from his adult self. Just thinking about you know, hey, it's like you know, why did you why did you do this? So and find out that you know Loki, like older Loki, figured, hey, you know, I have become predictable in my uh, my chaos my, my I have become predictable in my unpredictability. So I needed to so and I would rather die than not change. So now it's like here I am. It's like, and here, here I am, and here you are. And now I'm going to go and raise all sorts of mischief, whether, like, um, through my own, through my own plans. Now, now this is now as now. What's great about this first issue is that it still reads as a great story, even without the uh, the tie-ins to fear itself. So I mean, you, it's a guess. Like, I guess you know, reading the main crossover will give you some context for what's going on. But a lot of the stuff that Loki does right here, it's still still enjoyable independently of the crossover. It's like it. It's like, and he's, and um, but it's also great a great display of cleverness. It's like on the part of the character as he matches wits with the, uh, it's like with the um hell. Let's see, with the um hell. Uh, what is this? 
what is this thing called again? It's like, oh, the Hell Wolf. It's like the, uh, it's like, and also like trying to, um, trying to talk down, um, both Mephisto and, it's like, and, and Hela from, from War in Hell after the Serpent makes, tries to, um, enlist Hela, like in his, in his cause. And also, um, I am getting, getting Surtur, the, um, like Norse God of Fire and bringer of Ragnarok. It's like, in, it's like getting his shadow of his sword for his own, pur- own purposes. It's, it's like, it's, I love the, 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 the focus on, um, on like finding clever solutions to, to problems that Loki, that Loki has. And it's like, and Dylan's dialogue, is, it's like, is, is, is a real, is a real joy to read. It's some, it's like, I can see why the series has gotten the thing it has. And also, um, the first five issues are, are penciled by Doug, by Doug Braithwaite, who's done, worked a lot with, um, um, Alex Ross over the years and illustrated a really great version of a really great story arc from on Garth Ennis's Punisher um, Mo- Mother Russia he's got he's got a style that looks like it was carved looks like he's carving his, his characters right out of stone it's like and that works really well with the um, with the mythological characters on on display here so you got great art great writing and even though the the, the uh, volume ends on a sensible cliffhanger, it's like the next the next one is coming out next month, and I it's like and I can't wait to read it. So you know it's like I don't want to say that you know hey if crossover is great if it only if because it just um brought um journey into mystery it's like into it but well you know, that's that's the kind of that's the kind of narrative we're faced with right now. But um know, it's like we'll see how things go. Um, watch the uh, watch the blog for uh, for my for my thoughts on um, it's like on Invincible Iron Man and Uncanny X Men um, once they it's like once they come out in paperback, which hopefully should be within the next couple weeks or month. Hopefully. What was that? You said hope. You meant hopefully, right? Yeah, it's like I could go back and check the solicitations. But, but you know that's too much work. <laughs> I got you there. So, do you have any uh, idea of what's on tap for next week? Oh yes, we are going back to Mongoland for one of my for if for if not one of my one of my um for one of my uh, uh, what am I trying to say? Well, it's like one of the um most series that, that I and my friends most identify with, and that would be um um Kiyoshimoku's um Gensh, Genshiken. Genshiken. All right, a great, so, a great so, one. Oh yes, second, yeah, the first one of the second series just arrived in the mail today, and I will be digging in, digging into that, and as well as rereading the previous nine nine volumes. So I will say that, yep, yeah, I will say that you know, unless something has gone horribly wrong, expect next, expect the uh, next podcast to be a total love fest. As far as how much I, as far as how much I, I appreciate this series. <laughs> okay, uh, we'll catch you next time on Comic Picks by the Glick. Laters.